0: you have to tell your entitled self that the world doesn't owe you anything. So you have to stop being entitled and saying like, I deserve this because I did that. I deserve this because this is what I have achieved. It's a clean slate and you have to focus on what you do. And you have to stop comparing yourself with others and comparing yourself with what you did before.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Community in Arabic, sponsored by Lipton Yellow Label. Uh, with me, Anwar Gibran and Malik Samad. Our guest today needs no introduction, but for those few people who don't know him, he was named among the 100 leading global thinkers by Foreign Policy magazine and 100 most influential people by Time magazine in 2013. He's a doctor, he's a cardiac surgeon, and he's an author of multiple books. And of course, he's a comedian. His name became synonymous with the political satire in the Arab world. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Basim for being with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me, guys.
2: So Basim, in, in your show, American Arabic, and then in the podcast, Remade in America, you touch on what you call the schizophrenia we have as Arabs and addressing our relationship with America and finding our new identity, kind of the break between our identity as Arabs and our identity as, as Americans, which is kind of a common struggle that immigrants go through when they transition from their you know, original country, like home of origin, to their new home so in this episode we'd love to hear from you about your transition you know your experience finding your identity as an immigrant in the united states and how you create your new reality here so we're excited for the conversation but before we dive in um how was your 2020?
0: I think it wasn't bad at all I know it was a a, like a a year of pandemic and it was terrible but I think I was lucky enough to uh, continue working continue working on certain projects and uh, I, I, actually, it was a good uh, yeah, year for me. We moved to a new home, to a new uh, area in Los Angeles. Uh, so, yes, of course, it was tough, taban. But it wasn't as bad as I, I, I thought it would be. If, uh, it wasn't that bad, Khalis. Alhamdulillah, I'm very thankful.
1: When did your interest in comedy start growing up? Like, anything influenced you growing up? You know, your interest in comedy and, of course, in the American comedy and the political satire of John Stewart?
0: We all have interest in comedy growing up. It's not something that is uh, uh, specific for someone who has to be on television. And I'm sure that you uh, had your own interest growing up. And But the thing is, like, your taste changes and your um, your references and your uh, preferences changes as you grow up. So, uh, you know, growing up as a, a regular Egyptian uh, a kid, I, I watched what my parents watched. I watched the Arabic movies, the Arabic plays, the theater, and then you get exposed bit by bit to uh, uh, Western comedy. So uh, you go through the normal process. You know, you do Friends and then Seinfeld and then Frasier. <laughs> but then uh, mid-2000s, I got introduced to John Stewart. And this is where I was very mesmerized by the political satire, which is something, uh, a kind of comedy that we don't have in Arab world for obvious reasons, so on. And, it, uh, and, and to understand it in America, you have to be educated about the politics. So for me, uh, John Stewart kind of like served two uh, two purposes, not just like changing the taste of comedy, but also being informed about how politics works in the United States. And then you know when something, uh, when you know how something works, you know how to make fun of it or how, how to satirize it. So that kind of like uh, took, that was the journey I was on. Uh, and, you know, for me, it was just like, a hobby, something that I like to watch. And and, and and the fact that to actually to work on it, it was kind of a fantasy because of the political situation in the Arab world. And then um, you don't realize that you're basically seeding stuff until the right moment happens and you sprout. And this is what happens basically to me after the Arab Spring.
1: You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a physician as well. And, um... We started, you know, hinting to media a few years ago and uh, um, to you as a doctor and, and uh, as a cardiac surgeon. And, you know, with, with all this influence of the American uh, um, comedy eventually and, and political satire, uh, what influenced you to make the switch at that time?
0: I, I, you can't really pinpoint a point of time because it is something that was happening very slowly and incrementally. There was not like a point where like, now I'm going to do this uh you know big ideas start by small steps and what, what i was involved in or what i was concerned about at that time was the small steps uh creating a youtube videos satirizing the arab uh, uh, how the uh the, the the state-run media was you know uh distorting the truth so this is where the seeds of watching john stewart for years kind of like came into fruition and i started to do, talk about this But it wasn't something that like you decide to do. It is something that happens and then there's an impact and there's a result. And then you deal on the result or you Mm -hmm. react on the result. So it's kind of like it happened incrementally, very slowly. I mean, a lot of people don't know that for the first year and a half of my show, even when I was like the the show kind of like at its peak, the show on CBC, I was still a doctor. I, I, I didn't leave medicine. And I continued to have uh, duties in the hospital, mm. and it oh, wasn't okay. until maybe the second season that I decided to resign and kind of get dedicated to comedy full time.
2: Got yeah, it. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so Bassem, fast forward to 2014, um, your show was canceled, and then you had to abruptly leave Egypt, going to Dubai, and then transition to the United States. Can you tell us about how was that transition, um, you know, through Dubai to the U.S.?
0: Um. Well, the transition was a little bit tough, I have to say. It is, um, um, yanni, there was like a lot of moments of uncertainty uh, that that I went through, uh, a kind of uh, a moment of, uh, of of fear of the unknown, because the the, the 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 my 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 rise to fame was very meteoric and very fast and very exponential. And it was weird, and it was not normal. You understand? I came to America, and yeah, uh, uh, I didn't know. And people said, "All right, you're a legend back home, but what are you going to do here?" Yeah. You, you so, uh, I didn't know what to do at the beginning, and um, I, I wrote, I wrote the book that you have on the table, "Revolution for Dummies." At that time, uh, but at the end, but why didn't I did like small jobs in uh, Infusion Television, I uh, did like a, a small uh, like a show called Democracy Handbook. Yes, but these were very small tractions, and it didn't really and I and I, I, I didn't continue to kind of like um, yeah, I need to evolve to something bigger because at the end of the day, you're competing in Hollywood with it's the it's the most cutting throat industry in the world, and 100%. you have everybody competing. Everybody goes from mm. everywhere, and you're competing mm. with people who are uh, native, and, and like English native speakers people like uh, uh, stars from all over the world, and Mm -hmm. it's tough. So, uh, and you also have to, uh, there is a psychological component here. The psychological component is you have to uh, make peace with your current status. So basically, Mm -hmm. uh, you have to, to tell yourself, you have to humble yourself saying that what you did in Egypt, what you did in the Arab world, is done. And you should not compare what you do here with what, what you've done there because it's going to be different. So mm-hmm. I was I get focused on succeeding in the United States but not quantifying my success in comparison yes. with what I did in Egypt because that is something doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that rise was very exceptional. And right. uh, it, it doesn't make sense that I will make the same kind of success here in America. So I had to make peace that I am in a different journey than what I did in America, in America. That's why when people come and they say like, well, you did this, this in Egypt, and now look what you're doing in America, it's different. And I, I had to psychologically and, um, and, and, uh, and deal internally with the fact that I have actually to let go of what happened. It's like a chapter that happened, and done, and it's closed, and it's not what I do anymore. Mm-hmm. So I started to do a lot of university uh, talks and do the speaker circles and I was doing that. And then uh, I said, I cannot just let like, go and let's be a speaker. I have to do something else. So I went back to comedy and this time to stand-up comedy. Uh, and this is like was a huge leap because stand-up comedy is difficult for Americans. So uh, let alone having English as your second language. And now you're having to speak to Americans about something that happened to you in a different country in a different climate. Mm-hmm. So that took its own kind of um, uh, of journey of me trying to uh, master the tools of this new art, uh, and uh, there is there's like good decent success that happened in the last couple of years. I'm having my own touring. I go around. I'm not as big, of course, as like people like Kevin Hart or Bill Burr or like the, the legends that have been doing this for 25 years. Which is, of course, I've just started this two years ago. So, uh, but at least I am kind of like gaining traction and it's a very slow burn and very slow process. So this, this this has a lot to do with, um, with self-discipline is that you are having to um, appreciate the small steps that you do in order to advance and not, and you need to kind of like, um, um, I mean, I, I'm going to use like a sentence, a phrase that I, I said is that you have to tell you have to tell your entitled self that the world doesn't owe you anything. So you have to stop being entitled and saying, like, I deserve this because I did that. I deserve this because Mm. this is what I have achieved. It's a clean slate, and you have to focus on what you do. And you have to stop comparing yourself with others and comparing yourself with what you did before. Theodore Roosevelt has a very uh, famous quote saying, comparison is the thief of joy. So uh, we stop comparing that. Uh, you will enjoy the little successes that you do, without having to compare it with something bigger that you did or something bigger that you see and you want to do, and just like something, it will, it, it will, it will come in its own time. And meanwhile, I'm enjoying the process of learning and uh, the, uh, the and uh, the the process of evolving and the process of reinventing myself. Reinvention is something that is said and thrown uh, around very lightly, but it is actually something. That is a very um, elaborate process that you have to uh, deal with and work on yourself on it every single day.
1: I totally agree with this you know a tough process going and trying to make it another country in in the United States and that's uh, that's a like a a, for every immigrant in the United States it's pretty tough to come like even uh, if you're a doctor you want to come and become a doctor in the in the United States or even uh, you're doing comedy um, you had a great success great hit back home and going to try to prove yourself Uh, you know in 2016 and 2017 you did the Revolution for Dummies. You did uh, the Tickling Giant. We we felt after that that you know uh, those were kind of a closure of that time uh, of of your career, and uh, now you want to focus on uh, you know trying to prove yourself here in the United States. Uh, you know, bringing yeah, your the, the Duke, Tickling Giant is the the documentary. documentary yeah. It
0: is something that was done about me. I didn't do it. It was uh, someone who followed me for years who did it, and as and and the book was to kind of encapsulates my experience but you're totally right I felt that this was kind of like that is me kind of like putting an end to that and like I mean speaking of books you know I just like you know published this book you know The Magical yes Re- yes, yes. you want to talk
1: I know it's I know. a
0: children's book that is published by Scholastic you know mm-hmm. the publishers of Harry Potter and yeah. this is like for school kids here in America this is like I a total know. pivot to do this yesterday I was in Venice Beach in a parking lot doing outdoor we saw your story yes we, we saw doing it, it yeah and the day before, I was sharing a stage with Jeremy B- Biven, the guy from Interage. And the day before, I was with Jim Jeffries. And I'm, I'm doing comedy for people who don't know me. I mean, yeah, uh, like Friday, I was in Huntington Beach. And there was like 600 people. And they're all white Americans coming for Jeremy Biven. And I was opening for him. Yeah. And yeah. the day before, there was like 300 people coming from Jim Jeffries. And I'm opening for him. And I'm doing 10 minutes each. Yesterday, I did my whole hour. I was the headliner. But in all of these three cases, these are people who don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. And I am trying to break into that kind of 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 uh, of market. And it's tough for anybody. It is. And even for Americans who've lived here all their lives. Being an immigrant, your English is your second language. English is your second language. And you're coming here and you just started stand-up comedy two years ago.
2: Actually, that's a great segue for the next question is... You know, when you're reading the books and then the early projects that you did versus what you're doing now, it feels like you had a shift in audience. So who do you see as your main audience today?
0: Who would you like to be your main audience today? My main audience are people who are residing in the United States and in the Western world in general. These are people who are aware of the things that's happening globally that is centered here in the Western world. So it could be Americans who live here, Arabs who live here. I mean, I have to be very honest. I was in one of the Arab countries and I did my show that I do here and it didn't go quite well there. And then I realized it is very American-centric. And I realized that even my interests and even my comedy have shifted because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, comedy is a product. Comedy, drama, art, whatever, is the product of your truth. And my truth now is that I am an immigrant who is residing here, who is living here in this mm-hmm. new place. So all of my comedy is uh, uh, is informed and shaped by that status. And this is why there's kind of a rift. I mean, the bad thing is like the people who grew up or like get, got used to you watching it in dynamic, they are still locked in that place. And I have moved along from there. Mm-hmm. So it is very very common to see for example if i go out with colbert or if i go out with a show and then it's oh we don't like you it's just so bad yet yeah, because you are in that mental state
2: right. right and i
0: have moved on to a different mental state and a different right. identity because we come here we are the product of our community of our personal experiences of our political environment which is here mm-hmm. you know this is why people wanted me to talk for example why don't you talk about what happens in Egypt? Why don't you talk about what happens? In... It's not my truth anymore. Right. I, I, I don't belong there anymore. I belong here more. This is my everyday life here. So when I, I, I'm, I'm much more proficient. I'm much more able to talk about things like gun control ro- laws or the Constitution or the American elections. Then I would talk about what is happening in the Middle East. And when I talk about the Middle East, I talk about it through the lens of someone who was there and came here and kind of transferring or channeling that information to Americans and Arabs who live here. Mm -hmm. So this is the dynamic shift that happened to me in the last couple of years. And it didn't happen intentionally. It happened because it is very organic.
1: Because you interact with the environment that you live in, basically. The really important thing when, when we first come to the United States as Arab immigrants, but now... You know, when we interact with the with the American culture, you know, uh, all the politics there. Now we become Arab Americans, right? right? Your psyche, your uh, the way you approach things, the way you think about policies and whatever is going on. It's you look at it as an Arab American, as an American. Citizen at some point, uh, versus you just an immigrant who, like, or an outsider uh, that's uh, that's the beauty of America, right? The uh, uh, a nation of immigrants.
0: The problem with this is that so many Arab Americans or Arab immigrants mm-hmm. they come here and they still lock themselves in the mental status of yes. the Israeli Arab world, they never leave, yeah, and then they complain why America doesn't care about them. Yes, because you have not involved yourself. I mean, look for example, very very look Thank to you. the South Asian community. Look to the to the, uh, the the Indians and the Pakistanis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have they, no shame calling themselves oh, Americans. They have oh, no they? shame working as Americans. we in the Arab world we have some kind of a shame. Oh, you're an American, to American. You <laughs> yes. no, it, no, it's like it's like why this whole kind of like victimization or. Uh, the victimhood kind of mentality that America did this to us, did this to us, we should be enemies with And then you come here and you're you're basically living in this country and you have this Mm -hmm. kind of wall. And if you don't create this kind of wall, your people back home is trying to kind of blackmail you or push you on trying to create that kind of wall and make you ashamed that you are an American and make Mm -hmm. you ashamed that you are in a new status now. They want to pull you back into their own misery and their own problems. Well, the thing is you have new problems, you have yeah, new exactly. issues
1: exactly and that yeah. is
0: your truth. your truth is no longer back there. your truth is here, all mm-hmm. right and this is how you uh, create change by bringing in your interest, your culture your 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 intellectual ideas into this new country in order to shift the dynamics towards your own interest here in mm-hmm. America. But what happens is that People come here and they consider themselves immigrants. They consider themselves temporary. 25 years, they always think about when well, I'm going to go back to my own country. Yes, in the yes, right. So right. they end up not getting involved here, not getting actually completely assimilated in the community and unable to go back because 25 right. years, it's like you can't. You, can, you, you have become so comfortable here. Mm-hmm. You cannot live a single week. If it's not a vacation, you cannot deal right. with, the, with the reality there because it's oh, not your real reality anymore. So that's why you have like a people in the middle, kind of a lost generation of immigrants who can't, do not know how to deal with the new reality here in America and not, not even contributing back. They're just like somewhere in the middle. 100%. Actually, we noticed this through a lot of the work
2: that we do with Chicago in Arabic and New York in Arabic, is a lot of people come here and then you go and you cluster with the rest of the Arab community in some suburb, you stick to it, you identify more strongly as an Arab when you come to the U.S. than you did when you were in the Arab world. You stay away from the city, you refuse to assimilate to the city, and then before you know it, you, you don't belong here, and you don't belong there, and
0: that's the worst place to be. I mean, it's fine to kind of like be, still be connected to the culture. It's fine. I mean, the Chinese do it, the Indians do it, Indians still go to Indian restaurants, whatever. But then, even, not just Arabs, by the way, Arab, Chinese, whatever, there are some sector of those immigrants who just, like, want to stay in their own country even when they're here in America. So their <laughs> friends, their circles, their, uh, their interest, their leisure time, everything is still their own country there. And they do not want to move on. They don't want to assimilate. And then you find yourself that you are living in ghettos of your own creation. And these are right. not just, like, physical ghettos. I'm not just talking about the hookah place that you go every night. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking about mental mental ghetto. Yeah, yes. You kind of like put a big uh wall of of you trying to assimilate into that community and trying to affect change. Basma, actually, I'm curious. Are you optimistic that through some
2: of these projects that you're doing? You can actually deliver a message to this, the Arab Americans or these Arab immigrants that are stuck in their community to help move them out of that mental state and kind of open their eye to the fact that they're maybe a little bit overdoing it and they should just open up to the new world that they live in.
0: My hope is that will happen regardless. I mean, at the end of the day, you, relatively speaking, we are very new immigrants. Arab mm-hmm. as a sector, as an ethnicity, mm-hmm. we're very new. Compared to uh, uh, Indians, compared to Chinese, compared to Koreans, we're very new. Mm-hmm. And what I see in the next generation, I mean, I think that will happen. I think that's a generational issue. I think mm-hmm. the younger generation are much more assimilated. And the mm-hmm. younger generation are much more mm-hmm. understanding of, of, of what does it mean to be part of that new reality, new community, new country. Yeah. Uh, it is different when you come here and then like uh, as a... I, I can't, I, uh, as an immigrant, not even first generation, as an immigrant, and then you you're still connected there. I think my biggest challenge is, is like coming and having to accept that, for example, my kids are not fully Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have the Egyptian passport, but they also have the American passport yes. but but the most important is that I have to educate myself and 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 condition myself that their um, their variables, their givens, their circumstances are different than when I was when growing up. And I have to deal with them that way. I have to deal with them as Americans. And this is their new society. And there's the new rules. And I have to kind of like not impose what I had, what I went through as a younger kid on them because it's different. So this is the, the, the mental uh, obstacle that a lot of uh, fathers or mothers come here and have to deal with in this new community. So I have to, um, to kind of like be conscious all the time that this is a, this, she's, a, a, she's a product of a different culture and circumstances than my, me being a product of my own circumstances and culture.
2: A hundred percent, you know, I feel like it's really unfair that when you bring a kid here and then you force them to live a culture that they're not aware of, that they didn't grow up in and they cannot connect with. It's like very difficult for these kids to kind of like understand why am I having to live through this set of rules that I just don't see around me, and I can I can not, I can really do not understand. But, but moving on to your to your comedy and, and all the comedy shows that you're doing, you focus so much about you know storytelling and you know talking about the issues rather than addressing stereotypes, rather right? you know like rather than getting onto the stage and trying to make fun of people that are sitting in front of you. So who influenced your style in comedy, if 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 anybody, and and how did they do so? Uh,
0: George Car- George Carlin. I mean, I think he's one of the most brilliant minds ever in the comedy. And because his yeah. comedy is that kind of like very different kind of comedy. I think that will yeah. come to mind. Uh, I love Jim Jeffries, <laughs> who's a totally yeah. different style, but he's, he's doing the same thing but with a different style. Uh, I am not a veteran stand-up comedian. I cannot compete with people who have been doing stand-up comedy for 25 years. Mm. So their style of comedy. So yesterday, for example, my comedy was different. I mean, Mm -hmm. people came in and they did, like, 10, 15 minutes, which is, like, hilarious, very funny. People were, like, screaming out of laughter. Mine is much more of, like, a slow burn. It's, like, a slow... It's kind of, like, people people still laughing. They're not, like, screaming, but they're engaged. The whole time I'm speaking, they're, like, what's going on. That's a story that's going on. So uh, even there's one of the stand-up comedians like, this is not just funny, it was educational. This is the kind of comedy that I want to push forward, and and hopefully maybe one day it will... uh, you know, succeed somehow here.
2: I I really love that, and I actually have George Carlin's book under your book here, because I I always say you know I I learned about George Carlin when I first immigrated to the U.S. through some friends, and when I listened to him, I feel like if you take the jokes out of it, this can be a political speech. He's really raising awareness about a certain topic in a satirical way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent.
1: We really like looking at your uh, your content, basically. As I was telling Malik, uh, it's not even about. The comedy itself—it's how you deliver the message, uh, and you know, being a good communicator, and 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 creating all this content. Like, for example, it, it talk about remade in America, Plant B. And also uh, being an author of these multiple books, uh, you know, uh, being a good communicator here n- now in the age of social media, and uh, um, uh, knowing how to captivate the audience is a very important thing. I just want to talk about uh, a bit about the, the uh, Remade in America. Like in 2018, you did that podcast. And what did you learn from, from that experience? Uh, you know talking to multiple guests with, with multiple uh, uh, ethnic? you know racial and uh, oriental background basically
0: so what is so unique about america is that it's a new country right and uh being a new country it also it is um, a kind of a a receptive body for so many people from so many different backgrounds so So, it there whether that was immigrants whether that was like ethnic groups whether that was religious groups and the thing is Because of the freedom of expression, everybody is is free to express uh, his his views, even if you don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of the podcast of Remade in America is that everybody comes to America and he he's not made in America, he's remade. Because uh, you cannot really ignore all of the dynamics of different kinds of ethnicities and ideas and people around you. So your ideas get reshaped. So uh, whether you are coming from a different country, like for example the latino woman who was like the first latino in npr mm-hmm. or whether you are uh a, a, someone who brought was born in america and you were for example brought up in a religious background and then you decided to do something else that is totally unreli- non-religious whether you were born in the middle of america whether you came from a different country and you make it this is all like the remaking remaking process that happens in america and the biggest part about this is like how uh, 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 it is so interesting that, that this uh, this country is full of people that are so different from each other.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I
0: come from a place. We come from a region that fights the notion of being different. It actively fights <laughs> you right. If you are different, you are. Right. if you are different religiously, if you are different ethnically, if you are different politically, if you are different mm-hmm. sexually you will be fought. You will be fought and oppressed and maybe eliminated. But mm-hmm. America doesn't do that. America, of course, I mean, at a certain extent, for a certain it does. I mean, it's not, it's not a paradise. But at right. a certain extent, people are still allowed, and in a very, very short like, uh, you know, period of time, uh, very, uh, some of those people are persecuted in the streets. Mm-hmm. But because it is so fresh in mind, it is very interesting that like how a group of people were not allowed to go into the same place as white people and to dine, or how a certain group of uh, people, because of their orientation, they were killed in the streets of San Francisco. Now you don't have that, and that only took 50 years. Mm-hmm. So this is very impressive, and it's, it's an, an interesting way to study how it, that people that come from different backgrounds can actually come together to build a great nation. Because mm-hmm. this is not just like happening in the airport, Even here in America, the right wing always plays on this kind of idea of identity politics is that we are afraid of you because you're different. You're coming here to destroy America. Well, in fact, being different is one of the reasons why is this country is strong. Mm-hmm. And even my book, the children's book that I write about Nadia, it is actually the, the main theme of that book is that being different is cool. And being different actually adds to the pot, doesn't take away from it. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the main uh, That's the main. Uh, Idea, because if you if you look at the politics in the back in the Arab world, whether I mean, you know, half of the Arab world is either ruled by a a, a religious regime or a military regime. That is the fact. Mm-hmm. And both of them, if you think about it, they are enemies yeah. of change and they are enemies right. of of diversity. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, religious regimes are no different from military regimes. I mean, the only difference is that the military you see them all wearing the same uniform, walking right. the same <laughs> doing the same salute, having yes. like this pyramid hierarchy, but tradition is the same. Maybe right. you're not wearing the same. Some countries you will wear the same because you <laughs> think the same. And you're not allowed to think outside. Mm-hmm. So you either, because if you think outside, you'll either clash with the divine or clash with the military. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that is that's the whole idea. So when you kind of like, and that's the by the way, and that's the right wing everywhere, and that's the problem with the right wing in America right now because exactly. they are religiously and, and military. Uh, I don't want to say brainwashed, right. but like you know, they're that's their predilection. Anyway, cool. so that that yeah. is the whole idea about like being different and how it's different from the Arab world compared to the United States. Do you think you felt
1: like right when you came to the, uh, to the U.S.? When did you feel the sense of belonging that that I'm now uh, an individual here in the U.S.? I'm not a newcomer. Um, I belong here. Um, I want to contribute here. I want to raise a family in the US and, and continue uh, to this new home,
0: basically. So this is, again, not a point of, in time. Mm. This is, uh, has something that happened very incrementally and very slowly. Yeah. I am there now, and I've been there for maybe a couple of years, and I have this okay. now. But it has actually started from the beginning. From the beginning, I kind of, when I came here, I said, that's it. I mean, I'm here, I have to make it. That's okay. And I I think it is a a big part of it also depends on your success in here, in your field. Because Mm -hmm. if you're not successful, it's very hard to belong. Right. So hopefully, yeah, and if you build on this success and you continue to to move forward here, that feeling of belonging will even deepen.
2: And 100%, you know, one of the things that we did as we worked on, you know, Chicago and Arabic and and these other, you know, outlets is we thought about, one step for belonging is understanding where you live, connecting with the history of where you live, connecting with the architecture of the city that you're in, connecting with the streets of the city that you're in, so you feel like this is my home. And now, you know, I can mentally start transitioning into feeling that, you know what, this is, a, this is my new reality, and I move on. and what I want to ask is, you, you, your name is synonymous with a lot of political content, political satire, whether it's American politics or air politics, but at the same time, you shifted away from politics to do other... You know, count other programs like Plant B. So what? what is- I, did,
0: I, I didn't shift. I diversified. That's different. Either, okay. Okay. Uh, that, that's <laughs> different. Because the thing is, here's the problem. Here's the problem with also um, with the mentality of people who look at you as like, oh, you left that behind. No, it's, it's it is. I mean, the, the, it's not a replacement. Mm-hmm. This is something that is some. This is something that this is my truth that I live every day as someone mm-hmm. who has chose that kind of lifestyle, and I saw that the kind of good that it could do. And I'm of kind of like taking this on the side. But that did not stop my political satire. That did not stop my comedy. That did not stop my entertainment business. That did not stop of me writing a children's book. That did not stop of me doing a podcast. This is something that's on the side. But mm-hmm. the thing is, that's again, that is the kind of like monochromatic way of how people in the Arab world look at you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, you're just like in the kitchen cooking. Yes, but yeah. that's not just the only thing I do. Right. So uh, yeah, for example, Gwyneth Paltrow for example. She um, uh, and yeah. I'm not comparing myself to her, yeah, and she's an A-lister. She's an actor, and She has goop.
1: Uh, goop.com, yes.
0: goop.com which is bullshit, it's but bull- anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> But that, that that did not take away from her being Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, you know. Yes. Uh Ryan Reynolds for example, is like sold his uh uh, gin, gin, uh, yes. uh, gin brand that did not stop him being uh, but the thing is just like this however you, you can only be one thing right. you know this right. is something that i enjoy i enjoy helping people and kind of like kind of carries a little bit of my history as a doctor as a medical doctor using this in order to the betterment of people
1: since when you've been uh, fully vegan
0: uh, plant-based okay. i've been uh, since 2013 in uh, september 2013 so this is my eighth year
2: do you think the community um, was receptive of your message about, you know, veganism? And do you think that you were able to address some of the misconceptions
0: about, you know, being a vegan and, and inviting people to try it? So this is very interesting because I remember when I started talking about it, the kind of black backlash and, and attack was vicious. Wow. Vicious. <laughs> even my friends felt sorry for me. And, and I even went to a lot of friends to kind of go into partnership with them. And they were afraid to, because of the see the backlash. Because the backlash happened for two, two reasons. Number one, it is the regular backlash that happens when everybody starts to talk about plant-based diets. This is like, they, they consider this as an attack on their lifestyle. And I understand mm-hmm. that because many of the vegan uh, vocal voices, the activist vegans are very mm-hmm. annoying. And I'm say, I am the first one to say this. They, mm-hmm. they shame you, they attack you, they make you feel bad about what you do, but I don't never do that. Right. So they kind of like they have they kind of project what they have from these people and they project it on you. Mm-hmm. And that's why they kind of they do they create this kind of like straw man argument where they start to attack you of things that I never said it, but other people said it. But that's not yeah. my my opinion. So that is one. Yeah. But the biggest thing is that my brand as a political comedian always came into play because as a political comedian, you basically you you earn enemies every day. Because your kind of comedy does not work well with other people. So they right. attack you. They kind of like, oh, that's our payback now. That's like, oh, so they kind of like demean you. It's like, oh, you're, you know, it's talking, you're cooking. You cannot speak about politics. So the people will attack you, either the people that you have created enemies of or people who want you to continue doing the same thing in the Arab world of political comedy. But you just like that you're in a different place now. So they consider that as a sellout or a kind of like a, of a defeat. So they kind of come and kind of, so that was like a a very, very difficult, very, it was like an uh, an uphill journey, I have to say. However, what is so important now and it's so good and it makes me happy in after eight years, you can visibly see the shift of reception because now a lot of people tried it. And now a lot of people have actually improved. And now a lot of people have actually seen the difference. And now people actually can see the good in that, devoid of all of the political noise and all of the, uh, the other miscon- b- b- preconception noise that was there. Mm-hmm. And now,
1: Just pure health and environment, basically.
0: Exactly. So exactly. now people can see that. A lot of people now can, can differentiate. Okay, there's Basim who's doing this, this, and this. And then there's Basim who's doing this, that I'm actually I'm, I'm feeling better because I follow. Now mm-hmm. there's even now a lot of people are uh, came out to say I tried now I tried best immune system. It's not best immune system, it's a plant-based diet. Yeah. <laughs> but now yeah, my name yeah. became synonymous with that with the Arab word, and that helped me. And yes, and every every time I will put something that's related to a plant-based diet, I would still have the attacks, I would still have the vicious attacks, I will still have the people who are very mean. But, but now yeah. you have people coming in and defending that, and people mm-hmm. saying that is my own experience. I felt it and it made a huge difference in me and especially now people are trying to try, seeing that uh, I'm not a militant vegan and I, I, I speak openly to so guys you know what yesterday I ate fish mm-hmm. that is like yes. one, my once in a two month thing that I will do yes. I will eat eggs every now and then and I tell people it is not what you do it's, it's not a cult it's not a religion you know it is, it's a very 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 it's, if you feel better doing a, going 100% that's amazing if you feel amazing going 90% that's still good if you make only yes. 50% change, change and you felt great about yourself, and your health is improved. That's the whole idea. So mm-hmm. no. the people now are can starting to kind of, you know, categorize and analyze and and uh, and kind of um, uh, what do you call it, kind of see the different levels of messaging that I'm doing.
1: You know, if you talk about something outside their comfort zone, everybody gets scared to try something new. But but you know, once they they try it, they they think you know it's. I feel great. I, I uh, that's uh, that was such a great advice actually, and
0: and you see, I uh, always find people that attack you, and, uh, sure. and you just have to be resilient. I mean, yeah. I have to say that like a lot of people came to you and said, Basim with the kind with the kind, Yanni, We could not believe that you actually continued ten, eight years because you've seen the kind of attacks that you had experienced because of je- that it's alone. Crazy. A lot of people <laughs> have given up. Yeah but I didn't you know 8 no. years of uh, continuing that that was like a very difficult 8 years I have to say and still continuing but you know yeah. if you believe in something and you're resilient about it mm-hmm. hopefully it will uh, have a result now we're actually I'm actually developing a plan B app oh. oh really Yeah we are developing we are kind of like into the MVP concept we just finished the beta testing mm-hmm. and we tried it with people and we're going to see that product we actually we did like a whole plan B app uh, experiment on Zoom where we had like eight people and these people went into a transformation oh, wow. of two months and it's a, the, the, the results are like crazy. So that will be a way to kind of market our app. So that app would be like a platform of wellness where people have a sub, subscription-based, monthly subscription-based uh, style where you pay monthly for uh, medical supervision, for health coaching, for recipes uh, that is tailored to your medical condition work with the doctors and we have even bigger ideas inshallah when that happens but uh, the, uh, yani, uh, w- w- what I tell, always tell people is that if you believe in something and you're resilient I mean pl- plan b this it was ridiculed it was torn down mm-hmm. it was uh, attacked and now I, I came out of it of like I have a website that is very active I have uh, done a, a, YouTube chan- a youtube show which by the way turned into a tv show Ask Bass. Oh, right? it
1: did? Oh. Yeah,
0: it did. It, it, was, uh, it was just premiered on El shirt. So I did the same transition with I did in the Brunamic. I started YouTube and then I did a TV show.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
0: I'm I, I now in negotiation in multiple channels actually to do a reality TV show of a change. And now I'm turning it into a business. So that's something that people ridiculed me in turned into a movement, a business path, and a media path.
1: And, you know, you know, that shows... If I
0: would have given up in the first two years, I wouldn't have been here. Oh, oh for, no, sure.
1: No. for sure. For and, sure. And, you know, that shows resilience and, and you know, being persistent on doing um, a project that you believe in, especially in, in the U.S. Uh, to us, I'm really curious to know your opinion about this. For us, you know, we came here, we, we believe America has a lot of opportunities to offer. And, you know, it's up to you to kind of keep hustling, having the entrepreneurship... Mindset and kind of uh, push through, uh, and eventually, if you're persistent enough, you're uh, you're pushing it enough, uh, you'll succeed. Do you feel that kind of you know the U.S. Uh, you know they say the American dream and uh, you know the land of opportunity? Do you, uh, are you kind of realizing that going through all these projects?
0: Yes, but at the end of the day, it's not uh, a guaranteed path because also, right. I mean. America could be the home of the American dream and could be a, a, a deathbed to your uh, fantasies. You know, it's a, you never know. I mean, people here either make it or break it. You know, or, and people just like stay in the middle uh, for. Yeah, definitely. It has opportunities. It's uh, it's great and whatever. But it is not a guaranteed recipes for success just to be here. As you said, you have <laughs> to, you have to be creative. And I'm still learning about so many things here. And uh, you can find yourself one day on top of your game and the other day you're forgotten. And that's just like yes. the, the nature of things.
2: Under the theme of diversification, um, you move from plant-based and you're also doing, you just wrote a book recently, um, The Magical Reality of Nadia, addressing the issues of identity and, yes. and diversity. Yes. <laughs> so t- tell us a little bit about the book.
0: So this be- uh, book is very uh, dear to my heart. And uh, The reason is that that the last thing I would ever expected that to write a children's book. I mean, even when my agents came to me, it's like, why don't you write a children's book? Like, I don't know how to write a children's book. So we went back and forth, and I said, like, why don't you think of something that is informed by your own experience, Mm -hmm. and come back with a proposal, and we will help you uh, uh, realize that dream. I went back and I wrote down a concept. That uh, at the end of the day, like my experience as someone who had experienced hardship because of my different opinion, mm-hmm. people here experience hardship because they're different, period. And, uh, and I believe that all of the problems that we have of understanding people and, and kind of being empathic to people is that we don't deal with many of those problems from an early age. I think all of our adulthood problems come from the fact that they weren't uh, addressed as uh, young kids. So I thought like middle-aged kids, this is where, the age where people start to, re- the kids start to realize these differences. They hear things about racism, skin color, inclusion, discrimination. So I thought like, why don't we, I write a children's book that is dealing with these issues, but using something also close to my heart, which is Egyptian ancient history, and using magic as a vehicle to explain that to little kids.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So this is how I wrote it, and they liked the idea. They loved it, and they kind of, you know, uh, put me with a co-author, Catherine Daly, lovely woman, and uh, and uh, this is how the book came to life. And uh, hopefully, we're in negotiations now with. Uh, certain platform to make this into an animation project so <laughs> that was actually oh, next okay. on my list i mean
2: when i was looking through it all the animation the story the storyline it's like a perfect setup for like a movie or like a show for yeah them. yeah
0: powerhouse which is a very um established that- they're the one who did castlevania um uh, capture underpants they're very very strong animations they they're very things like listen th- this tool that you created you just like lends itself easily for animation.
1: We even were talking that, like this easily could be like a Disney character. The past 10, 20 years, for example, they're doing... Uh, they're addressing the fact that, uh, that all uh, Chindra's character were white, basically. So now uh, they had an African-American version. They, uh, the, uh, they touch on the on, on the Asian-American, but, but nothing about uh, Arab-American, you know? So, uh, so that would be, uh, hopefully, you know, wish you all the best with, uh, with this project. Maybe we we'll see it a Disney character at one point.
0: I hope so.
2: Basim, from, from stand-up comedy to the books you wrote to Plan to Be and, and your new book, The Magical Reality of, of Nadia, what's next for you?
0: Living in Hollywood or in Los Angeles is always, a, a, it's a continuous hustle. Always like those projects in the pipeline and you go and you pitch We, 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 I mean, I was, I teamed up with like many amazing executive producers for travel shows, political shows, but this is something happens like takes its time and you just wait around. I mean, maybe people think it's easier now that you have a lot of platform, but actually the competition is is harder because everybody wants to attract the biggest talent in order to dominate. The second thing is that I want to have my stand up comedy to turn into a Broadway or an off-Broadway production where it's going Mm -hmm. to be a one-man show and do theatrical. I've already been working with a theatrical director who directed the Broadway hit, What the Constitution Means to Me. And uh, we are closing a deal with uh, Audible to do that as an Audible project and hopefully a Broadway project. So we will see. I mean, this is something that also... This is something that I have not done before. And I'm very... uh, Very uh, fortunate to be in a position where I can, um, I kind of like, you know, elevate myself into a different, I kind of challenge myself into new venues. So it's, for me, this whole thing is a continuous uh, learning project or learning uh, process.
1: (laughs) I'm curious about something now, you know, in the process of, you know, establishing yourself or remade in America, do you envision at some point in the future, hopefully you're having a, a great successful career, to go back to the Arab world, do you re- remote there or now the fo- the the focus is North America.
0: I don't think about that now.
1: Okay, okay.
0: If it happens, yeah. it happens. Okay. But, you know, so, uh, and it, it's not it's not unusual to find someone who makes it, uh, you know, here and then come back. But I don't know. I don't know even how, come back in what capacity. Should I? Should I wor- would I be working with an Arab government about plant based diet? Will I be? Doing, <laughs> uh, would I be doing TV shows in some other Arab country? I don't know. I have no idea. So,
2: you know, Bassem, in closing, we're so eager to ask you about your advice for new immigrants, but I know you don't like to offer advice. So can you tell us about <laughs> can you tell us about what worked for you in your transition? Something that you would recommend, if I would say not advice. Other yeah, I, I
0: think there's something I already said in the interview. You have to really uh, embrace your new identity and you have to look at this as a new home. If you con- continue to view your position as temporary, you will not go anywhere. Mm-hmm. If you tell yourself that this is it, this is gonna be my future, this is gonna be my home, you will automatically, you will go into a mood of, of someone who wants things to happen instead of having this fake safety net that I can go back anytime.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think that's the only thing I can say.
1: Seriously, this amount of projects, uh, You know, we know the amount of work that went into them and and you know we really salute you for for all your efforts and uh we are you know your biggest fans so so thank you so much for all this stuff and uh and uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you yeah and we look forward to meeting in person someday
0: i appreciate it thank uh, you so much guys